you are on the line live on ESPN 1067 in Auburn and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga. Online on Fox Sports 983.com and ESPNAU.com. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Thursday edition of the show. Hour number one officially underway here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 up through Birmingham and Sylacauga. Hope you're all doing well on this Thursday afternoon. It's a hot one. It's above 90 degrees out there today. So hopefully you're staying cool, staying safe, and I hope you're having a great Thursday afternoon. Wow, we've got a lot to talk about today. There is a lot going on in the sports world. We're 107 days away from college football, and it is the focal point of sports right now, college football, especially the SEC, especially the SEC West. It is on fire right now, and I know you know what I'm talking about. We're 107 days away from the kickoff of college football. And again, it is at the focal point of conversation today. Nick Saban in Alabama and Jimbo Fisher of Texas A&M taking shots at one another. And man, there's a lot to break down between these two and the conversation of what they're talking about, why they said what they did. There's a lot to unfold here, and we're going to try and do it in the next two hours here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. If you want to call in, be a part of the show, I'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. A busy show today. We're going to talk a lot about the Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher battle that is going on right now. And we also have Aaron Gershon of the 24-7 Sports for Kentucky, the Cats Pause 24-7 Sports. He will be on at 2.30 to preview Auburn baseball series against Kentucky that gets underway tonight. He will be on at 2.30. And then at 3.30, Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, he will be on. Uh, We're going to talk about everything going on with him going on in the SEC, especially the Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher comments. So, Big show on tap for you today. Strap in, buckle up. It's going to be a great show. And again, you can call in and be a part of the show as well. 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. And we're going to start the show by playing the audio of Nick Saban and what he said last night at an event in Birmingham. He was with Nate Oates, the Alabama basketball coach. They were at an event last night in Birmingham, and Nick Saban was asked about the NIL and the current state of college football and college athletics, and it's about, let's see, I'm looking at it. It's about a seven-minute clip, okay? The first five minutes Everything that Nick Saban says makes sense. But then he takes a turn and he starts taking some shots 
at a couple of people, a couple big-time people, coaches in college football. I'm going to play that audio. We're going to break that down. And then I have the response by Jimbo Fisher at 10 a.m. on a press conference that he called today. I have his response on recording as well. We are going to play that audio as well. But let's start off, and in case you haven't heard exactly what Nick Saban had to say about about the NIL, Jimbo Fisher, and Deion Sanders, we're going to play that audio for you right here on On the Line. So buckle in, listen up, because there's a lot to unfold in this next seven minutes. Nick Saban talking about the NIL last night in Birmingham. You know, name, image, and likeness to me is a great concept for players. Uh, players have always been allowed to work. Uh, this is just a different opportunity for them to make money by working and using their own name, image, and likeness, whether it's signing autographs, whether it's doing commercials or ads for some company or whatever. So there's nothing wrong with that. And I told our players when this whole thing started to get agents, get representation, um, and so you create opportunities for yourself. And our players last year created $3 million worth of opportunity for themselves by doing it the right way. And I have no problem with that. And nobody had a problem on our team with that because the guys that got the money earned it. Now, there were only 25 guys on our team that had the opportunity to earn money. The issue and the problem with name, image, and likeness is coaches trying to create an advantage for themselves. I went out and said, okay, how could we use this to our advantage? they created what's called a collective. All right, a collective is an outside marketing agency uh, that's not tied to the university, that's funded by alumni from the university. And they give this collective millions of dollars. And that marketing agency then funnels it to the players. All right, and the coach actually knows how much money's in the collective, so he knows how much he can promise every player. That's not what name, image, and likeness was supposed to be. That's what it's become, and that's the problem in college athletics right now. And now every player is saying, well, what am I going to get? Well, my philosophy is my job is to create a platform for our players to create value for themselves and their future by becoming better people, uh, by graduating from school and developing a career off the field, and by seeing if they can develop a career on the field and play at the next level in the NFL. Our players have made $1.7 billion in the NFL since 2010. All right, so we've created a lot of opportunity. We also have one of the highest graduation rates, you know, in college athletics. We have the most guys that graduate inside of four years. So we've done a good job of that. But now in recruiting, we have players in our state that grew up wanting to come to Alabama that they won't commit to us unless we say we're going to give them what somebody else is going to give them. And my theory on that is everything that we've done in college athletics has always been equal. Your scholarship is equal. They get equal Austin, Austin money. They get equal uh, cost of attendance. Uh, they get equal academic support. They get equal medical attention. Everything has always been equal. So I told our players, I said, we're going to have a collective but everybody's going to get the same amount of opportunity from that collective. Now, you can go earn however much you want. And I tell the recruits the same thing, because our job is not to buy you to come to school here. And I don't know how you manage your locker room, and I don't know if this is a sustainable model, uh, because one of you folks are going to give some player that comes to our school 
a bunch of money to come to our school. And then you're going to come to the game in full strut, I think, and I'm going to tell everybody I got that guy to come to Alabama. And then he's not going to play, and he's going to transfer, and you're going to say, I'm never going to do this again. All right, so I don't know how it works. I don't, I don't know how you sustain a model like that. Now, I know that we're going to lose recruits because somebody else is going to be willing to pay them more. Um, but name, image, and likeness is something that's here. And I think the more supporters that we have for the University of Alabama in all sports right, that are willing to sponsor players, whatever you want to call it, use them in your business to help your business, that's going to help our programs. Um, the thing that I fear is at some point in time, they're just going to say we're going to have to pay players. If we start paying players, we're going to have to eliminate sports. All right? And this is, this is all bad for college sports. I mean, we probably have, what, 450 people on scholarship at Alabama, whether they're women's tennis players, women's softball players, golfers, you know, baseball players, non-revenue sports that, should, that have for years and years and years been able to create a better life for themselves because they've been able to get scholarships and participate in college athletics. That's what college athletics is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be something where people come and make money. And you make a decision about where you go to school based on how much money you're going to make. You should make a decision based on where you have the best chance to develop as a person, as a student, and as a player, which is what we've always tried to major in. And we're going to continue to do that. And hopefully there's enough people out there that are want to do it but I know the consequence is going to be difficult for the people who are spending tons of money to get players. And you've read about them. You know who they are. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. Yeah. So it's um, – it's tough, and people blame the NCAA. But in defense of the NCAA, we are where we are right, because of the litigation that the NCAA gets, like the transfer portal. Every time somebody wanted to transfer, they'd apply for a waiver. Right, if you didn't give them, if the NCAA didn't give them a waiver so they could be immediately eligible, they filed suit. So the NCAA would back off and give them a waiver. So they just said, we're just going to make a rule where everybody can transfer. That's how that happened. So if the NCAA doesn't get some protection from litigation, whether we got to get an antitrust or whatever it is, from a federal government standpoint, this is not going to change because they cannot enforce their rules, just like Nate said. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, and likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division I player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it. I mean, these guys at Miami that are going to play basketball there for $400,000, it's in the newspaper. The guy tells you how he's doing it. So, um, but the NCAA can't enforce their rules because it's not against the law. And that's an issue. That's a problem. And, and unless we get something that protects them from litigation, I don't know what we're going to do about it. Okay. Okay. That was what Nick Saban had to say last night at an, at an event in Birmingham. And as you could hear in the, what, the seven minutes that he talked, like I said, the first five minutes, 
Made perfect sense to me, right? Made perfect sense to me. The things he was saying are the things that I've been saying for a long time. Paying college athletes is going to ruin college sports. He's not against players going to get NIL deals. He's not against players getting NIL money. But there's got to be some equal opportunities. There's got to be a a balance. Because if not, what is stopping schools from buying players, right? That's what he was talking about. And basically his worry is that Alabama is not going to be able to recruit at the high level that they have been because they can't compete with some other schools when it comes to NIL money, okay? We're going to break that down some more. But then he jumped in and decided to go after some people. He went directly after Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, name dropping and just going after them. And he said, we were the second second ranked recruiting class in the country behind Texas A&M, who bought every player on their team. That was what Nick Saban said. They bought every player on their team. And Jimbo Fisher was not happy about that at all. He was not happy about that at all. He called an emergency 10 a.m. press conference today and came out and absolutely blasted Nick Saban. We're going to play that audio on the other side of the break. Uh, We've got a few more minutes, but Nick Saban attacked Texas A&M. He attacked Jimbo Fisher. Then he went at Deion Sanders at Jackson State and said they paid a guy a million dollars to come play football there last year. He went after them too. Then he, he dropped the University of Miami paying basketball players $400,000 to go play basketball. So he went after three different groups, three different schools, three different coaches for NIL stuff that he doesn't agree with. Now a lot of people have been saying that and the way that Jimbo Fisher responded was that Nick Saban was calling them cheaters okay that there's a lot to unfold here but those are the words of Nick Saban you just heard it here Nick Saban last night he said that Jimbo Fisher or from Nick Saban excuse me he said that Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M bought with NIL money every single player on their roster that's what Nick Saban just said And Jimbo Fisher was not happy. He came out and had a big-time response this morning, 10 a.m. press conference. I've got the audio of that in case you haven't heard it yet. I'm sure you've seen bits and pieces, but I've got the full, I think it's it's like a nine-minute audio. We're going to play that. And he comes in absolutely firing, as he should, as he should. On the other side of this break, we're going to play the audio of the Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher response. We're going to begin to break it down, but we're going to break it down all show long here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Stay tuned. The Jimbo Fisher audio coming up. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Thursday edition of the show. We just got done playing the Nick Saban audio from last night that has really caused an uproar throughout college football. The audio of him calling out Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, calling out Deion Sanders, 
calling out the University of Miami. Really something that was off script and not like Nick Saban to do. We just got done playing that. And that caused Jimbo Fisher to call a 10 a.m. press conference for him to come out and respond to what Nick Saban had to say. We're going to play that audio as well here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Pay attention. He says some really interesting things here, and uh, you can definitely tell he is extremely upset with what Nick Saban had to say. Audio level's good. All right. Coach, uh, like to respond to some comments made last night in Alabama? Uh, yes, I would. First of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ. More importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. And they broke state laws. They're, they're, they're all money. They're, we bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. And it's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top and the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families and Texas A&M because we do things right. We're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we got to sit here at this level of ball and, and say these things to defend the people of this organization the kids, 17-year-old kids and their families. It's amazing. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it. And it's despicable. It really is. And it's a shame we have to set up here and have this conversation about things we do. And it's and it personal to us? Yes, it is. It's personal to a and it's personal to our players, it's personal to our coaches, and everybody involved. And I know the guy. know him really well. It's amazing that we're allowed to do those things. It's really despicable. And I, and I hate it. For our players who are coming here, who did things the right way, have done things the right way, and will continue to do things the right way, I apologize to you that people insult you publicly the way they're doing it. And our fans, I, I apologize to you guys for people saying those things about Texas A&M. But promise you this, there are, no, there are no violations. There are nothing wrong. It's the second time we've had to do this with grown men who don't get their way and want to pout, throw a fit, and act up. Just go ask all the people who work for him. You'll know exactly what he's about. I always said this. My dad always told me this. When people show you who they are, believe them. He's showing you who he is. Questions? Uh, to the left, Olin. A couple of things, Jimbo. First of all, have you had any contact with Nick since? No. Uh, oh, he's called. You just didn't take the call? Not going to. We're done. And uh, He shows you who he is. And then I just wanted to. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted to. When you to got make, all the advantages, uh -huh. it's easy. 
and I just wanted to uh, just put it point blank. So no players in your you're saying that no players in the no, no re- laws of anything were ever or... promised, done anything that goes against the laws of the state of Texas, and it's insulting to say a 17 year old and his family broke laws. No. Down front, Brent. Y'all have both spoken so highly of each other in the past in terms of what y'all have done in your previous relationship. So how disappointing was it to hear that from him, you know, in terms of, you know, a mentor type to you It's disappointing. Well? No, I wasn't. Now, listen, you coach with people like Bobby Bowden and learn how to do things. You coach with other people and learn how not to do things. There's a reason people don't go, I ain't went back and worked for him with opportunities. Coach back behind don't the lights. Don't be associated with it. Coaches, uh, is this an area where you would want to see the league office and the SEC, the commissioner's office, get involved if if coaches are putting out specific accusations yeah, of that's violence? Their job. That's, that's fine. I'm sure they will. They'll reprimand or say something, and we'll move on, I guess. But this is about our players in Texas A&M and the people who work for and the coaches here. That's what this is about. And make a mistake. We're not going anywhere. We have still a lot of work to do. We're not where we want to be. This is going to be a great program, and we're building it into a great program. Any other questions down front, Travis? I know everyone saw the initial post from Slice Bread or whatever, but where do you feel like this is is coming from? You got me. Slice Bread. (laughs) Well, but I mean, when coaches say that, come on, man. Especially, never mind. The operation and tactics of certain people who say them, and anybody who coached with him know them, and anybody out there in this business knows it. Amazing. Just and, go where he's been. And I know that you don't necessarily, you can't have the, the conversation with people who do NILs or have that contact, but would you like to see the, the, the collective that, that, that does support I would like A&M? to find unified rules across this country to put things in place. That's what I want. And what, I don't know what those are. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I don't know what the antitrust laws, all those bylaws, so the government needs to step in because this is these things here. And what's funny, in that talk, right before he said that about us, wasn't he soliciting funds from the crowd? It's amazing, wasn't it? To the left, Rob. But when you walk on water, I guess it don't matter. Howdy, Coach. Um, so you've told us how you don't look at social media. How, tell, tell us about when you found out about – I'm right here, Coach. Mark to Robinson called me. Okay. And, and how important was it for you to, to have this press conference so that you could defend your players and your I'm not program? defending anybody. I'm just giving you the truth. Because I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to hide, and our program has nothing to hide. be interesting if everybody could say that. Down front, Brent. Yes, there's some thought on uh, – collectives you know schools programs collectives universities collectives are you aware of what they do how they go about it and no, so not. forth okay. so not you have no knowledge of any of they have collectives of- i know there's a collective here i don't know who's got what when's got what had no idea last year that is not what we do or what we're about i was gonna say that's by design you saying hey i'm staying out of this yeah i mean it, how am i gonna i mean i have no sponsorships and those things and that's the truth. Well, you, listen, I'm going to tell you one thing. You can, you can call me anything you want to call me. You ain't calling me a cheat. I don't cheat and I don't lie. Because I learned that when I was a kid. If you did, the old man slapped you side of the head. Maybe somebody should have slapped him. That's one thing you don't. Now you're fooling with their name. 
That don't, if it was Texas A&M's name, you're saying with those kids' name and our name. I'll put it with any of them. Front left, Olin. Uh, Coach SEC. I, don't, I ain't into that. I wasn't raised that way. Yeah, Jimbo, SEC spring meetings are coming up, the media days in a couple of months, and then October 8th. What do you think that's uh, – is, is it going to be awkward? And well, awkward about what? When you have to face it or have to – I don't mind to... confrontation. <clears throat> Live with it my whole life. Kind of like it myself. Anything else, uh, Rob and then Travis? Backing away from it wasn't the way I was raised. Coach, what do, you, what do you say to your players about something like this? Keep doing the right things and believe in yourself. And, I, and I'm sorry that people say those things about you. But I will defend you because I know nothing was wrong. That's what it's about. Talking about setting examples for players and creating value and all, that, all those good, you know, talks we have, he has. You know what I mean? Live it. Amazing. We'll go Travis and then Brent. When you, when you talk about uniform legislation. Setting the hell of an example. When you talk about uniform legislation, would you like to see that the schools be able to have a little bit more ability to? I, I, listen, I'm not. I, I don't know that. I don't know what's right. I just it just needs to be uniform across the board, and it's hard because the government's going to have to get involved with it. I'm not into that. I just know that what we did was nothing wrong. Was not done the wrong way. Nothing was promised. Nothing was deal. And we didn't buy every. We didn't buy any players. You've been in this business a long time. A seen, long time. And seen it's, a it's, lot it's, of things. It's disgusting to what we're into right now. Especially by the people who are throwing the darts, who have no glass in their house. So my question was, is this the most upset, disappointed, angry you've been about something in your coaching career? It's despicable for what it does for the sport. And the operations, the way things were done the other way, when the parity was there, like we said, never has been parity. Certain people never followed the rules anyway. No, I didn't say that. It's a misstatement. All right, Coach. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. You're welcome. Woo, man. Holy smokes. There's some heat going on. Step outside. You think it's hot there. The comments between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher have been nothing short of crazy. And look, we're going to continue to break it all down. All right, I wanted to play the audio of Saban, what he said last night, and Jimbo Fisher's response today. We've got a guest coming on next, but after that, we're going to continue to break all of this down. What's it mean for the game of college football in the SEC? We're going to talk about it, but stay tuned for Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws, Kentucky 24-7 Sports coming up. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Thursday edition of the show. Halfway through hour number one, going to take a little bit of a break from the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher conversation. We've got a new guest on the show, Aaron Gershon from the Cats Paws. That's the Cats, P-A-U-S-E, the Kentucky 24-7 site, uh, here to talk about Kentucky baseball in the series coming up this weekend. Aaron, thanks for coming on, man. No problem. Uh, I'm surprised you even want to stop talking about the Saban uh, uh, Fisher stuff. That stuff <laughs> is uh, it's must-see. I'm looking forward to Atlanta. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, SEC Media Days are going to be very exciting. And then October 8th, when those two match up, is going to be uh, just a crazy atmosphere as well. But let let us take a break from that conversation and talk about the reason we brought you on today. Auburn baseball travels to Lexington to take on Kentucky this weekend. And it's a big series for both teams. Auburn looking to extend some of their wins to try and host a regional and Kentucky, you know, looking for some last-minute wins uh, to try and kind of, you know, salvage their season a little bit. How has the season been for Kentucky baseball up to this point? Yeah, I, I think I think how I would describe it is it's kind of been a similar season to what we've seen here the last uh, three, four years, uh, you know, counting or not counting the COVID year in 2020, where, you know, they pretty much clean up early in the season. They play really well. Uh, in the non-conference before the SEC conference play starts. And then, you know, they run into the SEC arms, they run into some SEC bats, and they struggle. Uh, that's kind of been uh, the common theme for Kentucky. I know last year they actually started pretty hot uh, in conference play. They obviously swept Auburn last year, which was a big surprise uh, to many up here. I know Auburn didn't have a great year last year, but uh, that Kentucky had that sweep, and they won a series. I want to say it was Missouri. Uh, to start conference play five and one, and then it all kind of went down uh, downhill from there. They sneak into the SEC tournament, get bounced right away, and then you know this year, uh, really they started even better than usual in non-conference. They had a nice uh, series win over TCU, who I believe came into Lexington ranked eight. Uh, so they had that big series win, and they uh, you know took care of business early on. They had a slip up, I think, against Ohio. Uh, and lost the game, uh, another one uh, to Western Kentucky. Uh, but other than that, and then the one loss to TCU, they were in really good shape heading into conference play. And then, you know, kind of more of the same in conference play. They only have two series wins. One, of course, was against Tennessee. So that's, I mean, the only team in the country to do that so far this year. That was a really impressive weekend. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of variables that went into that. Kentucky, I think, played up to the competition and also – uh, the weather in Lexington was not ideal, and I think Kentucky kind of took some advantage of that, but got that series win, and the only other series win um, was Georgia, but Georgia was dealing with a bunch of pitching staff injuries that series, so they were kind of out of arms by that third game. And Aaron, you look at the record for this Kentucky baseball team, 28-23 and 23 overall, 10-17 and 17 in conference play, and like you mentioned, they only have the two SEC series victories, Georgia, and then the big one against Tennessee. What's been the weakness of this Kentucky team in SEC play that's only allowed them to get the two series wins? Yeah, it's definitely the pitching. Uh, you look at the you look at the lineup. Uh, they have some they have some quality bats in there. Daniel Harris, who uh, I don't think he's been caught stealing. He's also a three uh, twenty seven hitter. He's been great. Uh, Chase Eastep's batting three ten with uh, thirteen home runs. He's been awesome. Uh, left-handed bat who hits lefties really well too. Uh, Ryan Ritter hasn't had the best offensive season uh, you could have imagined from him. A uh, guy who had some first-round MLB draft uh, buzz going into the year, but he's a solid defender. So the offense really hasn't been the issue. The pitching, though, uh, outside of a couple arms, one there. I mean, they've, they have had their fair share of injuries. You look at the rotation uh, and three starters, from, including their uh, opening day Friday night guy Zach Lee, uh, done for the year. Um, or not Zach Lee. I'm sorry. I'm trying to think. Oh, no, it was exactly. I'm sorry. I'm all messed up. So many. It wasn't exactly. It was Cole Stop. <laughs> I'm trying to. I mix those two up all the time. Uh, you're Stop, all good. Brought in that guy out for the year. Uh, Darren Williams, your number two out for the year. Uh, Mason Hazelwood, 
uh, coming back from injury this year, so his pitch count's been limited. Uh, and then uh, you look at just down the line, that hasn't been very good outside of two guys. Uh, Sean Harney, who both starts some games and closes last year, I think he became definitely the first in Kentucky history. might have been an SEC guy. Uh, first guy to have six wins and six saves in a season. Uh, grad transfer from Clemson. He's been really good again this year. And Tyler Gilfoyle, the reliever, uh, one two ninety ERA. He's been uh, locked down, especially that Tennessee series. Uh, pitched, I want to say, four-plus innings in relief, all scoreless, and was the SEC Pitcher of the Week. So really outside of two guys, uh, there isn't really anyone that Nick Mingione can – uh, hand the ball to and trust, and that's been the big issue. Talking to Aaron Gershon of the Cats Pause, the Kentucky 24-7 sports site. At this point, it's the last series of the season. What is the mentality for Kentucky coming into the home series as Auburn comes to town, starting tonight with the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series? Well, they do control their own destiny uh, as far as Hoover goes, Mississippi State, which has been Obviously, a big uh, letdown this year after winning it all last year. They're nine and eighteen, so Kentucky has uh, a one-game lead on Mississippi State, and depending uh, that tiebreaker will be dependent on what Mississippi State does this weekend because they have Tennessee. So as long as they don't take two out of three or sweep, Kentucky will uh, maintain that tiebreaker. And then there are two games ahead of Missouri, who actually Missouri would own the tiebreaker over Kentucky since they won a season, uh, the season series. So uh, the mindset for Kentucky is simply take care of business. The magic number is two. Uh, so you got to definitely at least get one win. Uh, two would obviously guarantee uh, you to, to Hoover, and, you know, you just hope that anything can happen in the playoffs, and they just want to, you know, secure that SEC tournament bid and take it from there. I think that's really the only mindset you could have. Uh, and you want to just extend your season because it's going to be a – can be a really interesting offseason around here so you want to try to push that off as long as you can and Aaron as Auburn comes to town and after you've done a little bit of your research on the Tigers coming into Lexington what's your take on this Auburn team uh with game one being tonight yeah I'm, I'm honestly really impressed um with how they've turned it around this year uh, and they've done it pretty consistently I know last year uh like I said Kentucky swept the series down uh, in Auburn and Auburn was a two games under 500 last year and to now be uh, 20 over after just one year. I, I don't know if that was really expected from them this year. So really impressed with how not only they turned it around, but they proved, uh, you know, they were for real. They did it all year long and they've, um, you know, they've picked up a lot of quality series wins. I know uh, they stole one of their games from Tennessee. That was a fun series. They took care of South Carolina who uh, gave Kentucky a lot of trouble. Um, they took two to three from Vanderbilt. So, and they took two to three from LSU. So the, They've honestly really impressed me with uh, how quickly they were able to turn that thing around. And um, I, I would assume there's going to be motivation from their side uh, to come in and kind of return the favor from last year because that kind of set the tone uh, for our, for all uh, SEC play last year. I want to say it was the first SEC series. If not, uh, it was definitely the second. It was early in SEC play. So uh, I'm sure they want to kind of return that favor and uh, kind of push Kentucky back in the mouth from last year. And – with Auburn coming in and Kentucky trying to just find some wins that they desperately need to make it to Hoover, what what is the preparation for Kentucky to, to to go up against Auburn, who you know obviously is one of the better hitting teams in the SEC? Yeah, I mean they're going to have to rely on the on the guys they could trust, and uh, Kentucky since the starting injury, uh, starting pitching injuries, really haven't. Uh, given any indication on who's starting till minutes before. They kind of go bullpen day every day, uh, which is, you know, 
a little frustrating because you just don't know what you're going to get from them each day. We'll see exactly who's kind of been up and down. Uh, I know it's starting tonight, but then, you know, you have uh, TBDs on uh, Friday and Saturday. I would assume Sean Harney, who we talked about a little earlier, will get the ball in one of those starts and that, you know, they're going to try to have Tyler Guilfoyle available for one or two of these games. So, uh, honestly, they're just going to, with this pitching staff and, you know, with the injuries plus just the lack of depth, uh, I think there's going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, just overall reading your scouting reports uh, and trying to uh, execute pitches and game plan and, you know, some crossing of the fingers that uh, some of these guys can have, you know, better series than they're accustomed to, kind of like they did against Tennessee uh, where they shut that offense down. But uh, it, it, I, <laughs> you never know what you're going to get with this Kentucky baseball team. They haven't really got – they've only gotten swept uh, one time. Uh, during this conference season, that was at Arkansas, first weekend of the year. So uh, you feel comfortable they'd probably be able to get one. They've done a good job of not, um, you know, completely getting overwhelmed in a series. But, uh, you know, it's hard to know with all the pitching injuries. And, uh, you know, Auburn's obviously a really talented team. Talking to Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws, the Kentucky 24-7 sports site. When you look up and down the schedule, Kentucky's record at home has been a lot better than it has been on the road. How does that benefit them in this series being at home this weekend? Yeah, I do think it'll help. It's going to be interesting to see what the fan support level is here. The fans are kind of, you know, they're, they're definitely bothered with how the Nick Mangione era has gone. You know, in 2017, uh, his first year here in Lexington, they got to their only uh, super regional in school history, but you look back on that, they haven't been to the NCAA tournament since, and, you know, that causes a lot of fans to, you know, point fingers and say, hey, these are recruits that you succeeded with that you didn't recruit. Uh, they're guys from the last regime, Gary Henderson. So uh, it's really uh, it's interesting there. And, you know, they built this brand-new, beautiful, beautiful state-of-the-art SEC, everything-you'd-want ballpark, uh, put $49 million down to build it, and it's gorgeous, but – uh, the product has not been good, and they're they're frustrated. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be interested to see uh, just how much the fans come out and back them. I know uh, two weeks ago it was uh, you felt like you were in Knoxville with the amount of Tennessee fans that were here, but uh, Kentucky does like playing in their own ballpark. They have proven that this year. I mean, like I said, they won series against Tennessee and Georgia here. Uh, they won a series against TCU. So for whatever reason, uh, maybe it's just not having to travel. Whether it's you know the dimensions, which aren't really anything crazy, but just being comfortable in your own on your own territory, uh, it, it has done wonders for them. I mean, twenty-one and ten compared to seven and three, thirteen is not a not exactly a, you know it's just not for no reason. Right, and you know, wrapping up the conversation here, what does it take for Kentucky to win this weekend, and for them to try and get to Hoover, and then and then for Auburn on the other side, what's it take for the visiting team to try to pick up some wins as well? Uh, Auburn's really just got to score runs. I mean, as long as they score consistently, uh, Kentucky's a team that can score with you, but only for so long uh, when the pitching kind of starts to hold down. So uh, for Auburn, you want to try to build the lead early and not let Kentucky keep it close where they could go to Guilfoyle or Harney, two of the guys who can really you know, come in and shut it down for four to five innings. Uh, that would be the key for Auburn. And for Kentucky, uh, the opposite. You want to get it, keep games close where you can uh, get the ball to Harney, get the ball to Guilfoyle, relievers you can trust, and uh, tr- you know, trust your offense because they've been pretty good all year. Um, but for Kentucky, really, uh, you obviously hope tennis, all, all you really need is Tennessee to win one uh, of those games this weekend and then uh, win one here, and you're going to at least get the Hoover. But, you know, you'd love to 
take two of the three or somehow sweep and try to not only get into Hoover but boost the RPI and see if he can be on that tournament bubble. The SEC always gets uh, some well-deserved favoritism, so uh, you never know. But it's going to be another. It's going to be a really tough series for Kentucky. The pitching depth is really it's really thin. It's late in the year. Guys are tired. Um, and like I said, there's a big offseason ahead. I think there could be a change at the coaching spot. We'll see about that. Uh, they're definitely the transfer portal has been ridiculous in college baseball forever, but especially here in Lexington, uh, you look at the guys on this roster, like half of them are from the portal. So uh, it, it, you want to push that off as long as you can. Well, Aaron, we appreciate you and your time and all of your content and information about this Kentucky baseball team. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and all of your work that you do for 24-7 Sports. Yeah, I appreciate that. You can find us. We are, like I said, the 247 uh, affiliate for Kentucky coverage. Um, We also have a magazine that's sold locally and online that is printed 18 times a year, the Cat's Paws Magazine. It's been around for 45 years, so proud to be a part of that. And then uh, on Twitter, a Gershon 99 a lot of tweets about the uh, New York sports teams. That's where I'm from, but uh, a lot of Kentucky covers there, too. Awesome. Well, man, like I said, we appreciate you and your time, and uh, good luck in this weekend series. All right. Appreciate you. That was Aaron Gershon, the Cats Paws 24-7 sports writer for Kentucky Baseball, here to preview the upcoming series as Auburn Baseball gets underway against Kentucky tonight in Lexington. That's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, the last series of the weekend or of the year, excuse me, for Auburn Baseball as they are looking to host not just a regional, but a super regional as well. Let's head to our final break here in hour number one. You're going to get to listen to me talk for the first time today. I know we've had a lot going on, but we've had some great content, but I'm going to be right back. We're going to continue the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher. We're going to kind of talk a little bit about it, and then in hour number two, we're jumping all into it. Make sure you stay tuned right here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins, yes, I am here today. I am here. I know you haven't heard a whole lot of me, but I am here. Today, it's been a great show so far. Uh, you know, not a ton of, of, you know, of my commentary just yet. Uh, we played the Nick Saban audio of what he had to say last night about Jimbo Fisher, the NIL the, the, the comments that sparked an uproar throughout college football. Then, then we played the response by Jimbo Fisher this morning at his press conference. He called a 10 a.m. press conference, and he had a chance to respond, and he did in a big, big way. We played that audio as well, and then we just got off the phone with Aaron Gershon, the Cats Paws 24-7 sports writer for the Kentucky Wildcats. He previewed the series between Auburn and Kentucky on the baseball diamond coming up starting tonight in Les- It's been a busy hour number one, and we've got a few more minutes before we head to hour number two. It's going to be completely filled with Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, NIL, discussions, conversations. Lots to dive into on this subject. You can call in, be a part of the show. What do you think about all of this and this craziness going on between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher? I want to hear from you. 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You can call in, be a part of the show, give your thoughts and opinions about what is going on between Saban 
Hoffman and Jimbo Fisher. And in hour number two, we're going to have Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, the Locked On SEC podcast. He will be on at 3.30, and you best believe we're going to be talking about this topic as well. But, you know, when you listen to what was said between both coaches, it's interesting, and there's a lot to, to break down in this entire conversation. And so uh, to wrap up hour one, I just want to kind of give some of the headlines that I would normally talk about in making headlines, uh, but I don't want to do that in hour two. I want to jump right into this conversation, okay? So some making headlines here to wrap up hour number one. Auburn baseball begins its series tonight at Kentucky. Uh, wins are needed from both sides. Auburn needs a, to pick up a couple of wins as they are trying to host a regional and possibly host a super regional. When you look at the the D1 baseball rankings and predictions right now, Auburn is projected not just to host the regional, but also host the super regional. So Auburn looking to pick up some wins, trying to be a top four seed in Hoover, and that would go do wonders for Auburn if they could get some wins at Kentucky. If you were here during the Aaron Gershon conversation you know that Auburn is the better team. They have a real good chance to pick up some wins against this Kentucky Wildcats team. And look, Kentucky's desperate for some wins. They're trying just to make it to Hoover, okay? They're seven wins below 500 in the SEC. They're just looking to try and get to Hoover, and they control their own destiny. They're going to be desperate. They play a lot better at home, but their pitching has struggled. What a great series for Auburn. Uh, to get the bats rolling again and to really get some confidence built before heading to Hoover next week. So Auburn with a real good chance against Kentucky this weekend. That series gets underway tonight in Lexington. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. So make sure you try and tune in or try to catch the, the scores of those games. It's really, really important. Auburn football, they landed a defensive line transfer last night from the transfer portal. Brian Harson and this coaching staff continue to do work in the transfer portal. And Auburn, I mean, look, they're picking up guys, right? And let's see, I'm trying to pull up everything about it. Auburn continues to do work in the transfer portal. Morris Joseph from Memphis. He's a defensive line transfer from Memphis. He is now with Auburn. And look, again, we've talked about how Auburn has to continue to find guys in the portal. Are you going to find day one starters? No, maybe not. But you can find guys that are impact players that can still have experience. And this guy does. He has some experience. He's six foot two, 275 pounds. Let's see, he played at Memphis for two years, played in all 14 games as a sophomore, played in 11 games and totaled 10 tackles on the season. So not a, you know, not a super high rep type of guy, but he knows what he's doing and he's got some playing experience. That's what you're looking for if you're Auburn football. Hour number one, officially in the book. Stay tuned. Hour number two coming up. We're going to talk all about Saban and Jimbo. Stay tuned. are on the line 
Live on ESPN, 106.7 in Auburn and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga. Online on Fox Sports, 983.com and ESPNAU.com. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports, Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Thursday edition of the show. Hour number one officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two officially underway here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports, Central Alabama on 98.3 up through Birmingham and Sylacauga. Hope you're all doing well on this Thursday afternoon, May 19th. 2022 107 days away from college football kicking off here in the state of Alabama around the SEC and around the country and man it's been a crazy day in Tuscaloosa and in the state of Texas in College Station Texas you all know what's going on around the country Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher going head-to-head with comments about each other, about the NIL, what they think about it, what they don't like about it, and what they don't like about the other person. That is what has been going on today. Nick Saban had his comments last night. Jimbo Fisher said, nah, I'm going to come and respond. And boy, did he do so. Fantastic content, if you will. It's crazy. We're going to break it all down here in hour number two of the Thursday edition of On the Line. If you want to call in and give your thoughts about the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher uh, incident, I guess. I don't uh, the situation. I don't know what you want to call it. Debacle. I don't know what the term the terminology is. But if you want to call in and give your thoughts and opinions about everything going on, I would love to hear from you. 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. If you missed any of our number one, we played the Nick Saban audio and the Texas A&M Jimbo Fisher audio during his press conference. We played both of those back to back then we talked to Aaron Gershon of 24-7 Sports for Kentucky uh, to talk about the Auburn and Kentucky baseball series that was all during hour number one so if you missed any of that make sure you can go find the podcast just search on the line wherever you get your podcast thank you so much for joining me here in hour number two we've got a lot to talk about so let's jump right into it As you all know, Nick Saban last night was at an event in Birmingham. He was asked about the NIL and his thoughts and opinions about it. What he thinks is, is, you know, basically they just asked him about the NIL and he decided to go off about it. And in about a seven-minute answer about the NIL, the first five minutes of it made a lot of sense. Okay, it really, really did. Okay, he went on about what the NIL has become, what it was not supposed to be, blah, blah, blah. Then he decided to go in on a couple of coaches, right? Well, then those coaches have come out and made responses today. So with everything going on, we're going to touch on multiple different topics within this same one. We're going to talk about what was said by both Nick Saban and by Jimbo Fisher. We're going to talk about what it all means. What exactly were they talking about and what exactly did they say? 
because I think that's important because a lot of this has been blown out of out of the water a little bit, and I want to make sure that we're fully understanding exactly what they said and what they did not say. Who's right? Who's wrong in this situation? We're going to talk about that as well. In the history of Nick Saban with situations like the NIL, when something new gets implemented into college football, what do we know about Nick Saban? And also, when he opens his mouth, why we should listen to Nick Saban. We're going to talk about that as well. And then also, why Jimbo Fisher had to come out and respond. Was the timing uh, weird about all of this? What's important from what was said? And then ultimately, preview the matchup that these two teams are going to have on October 8th. Lots to talk about today with this entire situation. Let's jump right into it. Again, you could call in, be a part of the show, 334-321-1390. We've got a phone call. Let me go answer that. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to On the Line. Please stay tuned as we take this phone call. You may get involved as well. Call 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. And we're back. We've got a phone call. Again, you could call in, be a part of the show. 334-321-1390. Ed is on line one. Welcome in. Hey, guys. Uh, Hey, uh, I was just... I think you know most of uh, my opinion of Nick Saban. It's, it's not he's, – he's not a saint. He never has. He, he is crying right now because he doesn't have the advantage that, uh, you know, that he's been taking – he's been using it. Now other people are doing and he's going to have to play on a level playing field, and he cannot stand it. And for him to act like that they don't – that – uh, that NIL and and money is not a big thing. I don't, I don't know if you'll remember this, but last year it was right during recruiting uh, season. He was in Texas, and he made the comment. He was speaking to like a alumni club out in Austin or something, mm-hmm. but he made, he made the comment that you know he, he was really recruiting a couple of kids hard in Texas at that time. And they asked him about NIL. He said, well, you know, uh, all, I, all I can tell you is we just, uh, you know, we just uh, got a kid that's uh, making up in the upper six figures, mm-hmm. you know, talking about Bryce Young. So he's been using that as much as anybody. He, he is such the baby, such the hypocrite, and such the, you know, soul loser I, you know, I, I'm I'm embarrassed for him and, and for Alabama people, and and to listen to the people on the Alabama and Nick Saban apologists that are on the, you know, uh, you know, some of the people on the fine uh, bomb for one, right? You know, it, it's just so sad because no, 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 he 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 is he was the grandfather of paying players, you know, and it just caught up. But, uh, you know, one more thing I was just going to say, and this is just top of my head, as far as what the NCAA, now they've got to, they've got to get in this more and more now. But I don't think the NCAA is going to be around for more than a couple more years. I, 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 just I agree don't with see you. it working for football. I, I just don't see it. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. I've talked about the NCAA, how they've got to get in on this, but I think they've let it go too far. And yeah. I think this will be the thing that 
big-time colleges, not just college football, but big-time college sports because they're going to realize and come together and say, hey, we don't need the NCAA anymore. They're, I 100% agree with you. They're, they're going to break away from the NCAA original, or eventually. Yeah, that's just a lot of bureaucracy and, and that they don't need, and, and, and it's totally ineffective as, as we're seeing right now. But anyway, uh, you, you have a great day, man. I, I'm listening to you and worried. Well, I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate the call, Ed. It means a lot. I really do appreciate it. You can call in be a part of the show as well, 334-321-1390. You can call in be a part of the show as well. Big thanks to Ed for listening and calling in. I uh, love always hearing what he has to say. Look, you know, breaking that down just a little bit, Nick Saban, it does come off that he is, you know, complaining. And, you know, there's been obviously people saying that he, you know, is whining and doing all of that. I'm not going to go and say all of that, but it definitely comes off as he is, he's complaining because times are changing. But this isn't the first time we've seen this from Nick Saban, right? Remember when Gus Malzahn showed up to Auburn and implemented the fast-paced, no-huddle-hurry-up offense? Do you remember that? And when Auburn was dominating people like Alabama, and then Nick Saban got his feelings hurt because he didn't know how to defend it, but then he got it changed, right? He got the rules changed. We've seen that happen before, and we've seen where Nick Saban, when rules get changed and times get changed, he doesn't really like it. Why? Because he's very good at what he does, and he has been dominant at what he does for so long. When things like this change, it affects him being as good as he is. And that's okay. That's okay. He's human. He's allowed to feel that way, right? That's understandable why he would feel that way. He's almost feeling threatened because he has been so good for so long. When something like this gets implemented, he sees where he can be dethroned. He sees where he can be dethroned. And that's one of the points I wanted to talk about is the history of Saban with these types of situations. Yes, he normally complains. He normally opens his mouth, but he's normally right. And like I was saying before, before he started attacking Jimbo Fisher, the first five minutes of that answer were all correct. What he was saying was absolutely correct. He was talking about how rich schools are going to get all of the players. And as good as Alabama has been, as good as recruiting as Alabama has been, there's going to be a a point and a level where they won't be able to compete with other schools when it comes to recruiting because they won't have the NIL money that other schools do. I've talked about that a lot with Auburn, right? Auburn's going to struggle. Doesn't matter. I don't care how good your head coach is. I don't care how good your facilities are. Money talks, especially to 18-year-old kids. Money talks over everything. Not for every kid, but as time goes on, I've talked about this, as time goes on, more and more high school recruits are going to have that mindset of, I want the money, I want to go where I can get the most money. And that's what Nick Saban started talking about. He said, Alabama, we're not going to be able to compete. He said, kids that grew up wanting to come to Alabama they're not going to want to come here anymore because we may not be able to offer them as much money as other schools, right? He's 100% right, and not just Alabama. That's all schools across the country they are going to be like that that won't be able to compete with other schools like a Texas A&M who have probably more money than any other school, right, and more boosters and donors going to the school. So when he was talking about that, he's 100% correct. 
He was also talking about how if you continue to pay players and not have any limit, eventually you're going to have to actually pay players to come play college football. And at that point, it's not going to be college. You're going to be playing professional ball. Okay? I've talked about that. I've talked about that because that's true. We are entering a time where college football is no longer college football. They're going to be professionals making more money than some of the pros do in the NFL. So everything he said up to that point was correct. Everything he said, I agreed with. Right? I agreed with what he actually said until he took a turn a little bit. Right? He took a turn and he said, we had the second highest rated recruiting class last year behind Texas A&M. He said Texas A&M bought every player on their roster. Come on, man. Come on. You can't say that. You can't say that. I understand where he's coming from. I get that. But he, he made it sound like that Texas A&M cheated in a way. He made it sound like that they did something wrong. And that's exactly how Jimbo Fisher took it. But is that really what Nick Saban said? Is that really what he said? No. He never ever said that they cheated their way to the top. That's not what he said. He said they bought every player on their team. And is he completely wrong? I'm not too sure, guys. I'm not too sure. Do I agree with what he like the way that he said it? No. Should he have come out and attacked Jimbo Fisher, Deion Sanders, the University of Miami? No, probably not. But what he said wasn't completely false, guys. The first five minutes of that interview, or that question that he answered, he was right. And then he decided to go after Jimbo Fisher. Why? Because his feelings were hurt. His feelings are hurt. And he's mad because he knows at some level he can't compete with that. He can compete. He can compete with on-field performance, development, coaching, Obviously, Alabama's better than Texas A&M that way. But now there's a whole new there's a whole new level of of competing. There's a whole new level of recruiting. There's a whole new level, right? With NIL. And Nick Saban knows. He knows that he can't compete. He can't. And that's not on him. Auburn's in the same situation. So if you're laughing at Alabama, don't because Auburn's in the exact same situation. Now, Brian Harson didn't come out and blast people, but Nick Saban's got enough power and enough respect and dignity to, or I don't know if dignity is the word, but he's got enough power and say so in the game of college football that he can come out and say those types of things and look what it does. It causes an uproar in the game. He can come out and say those things, but he knows that he and the University of Alabama cannot compete. Auburn can't either. Not many people are going to be able to. There's going to be a handful of schools that will get the best overall players. They will. Look at Texas A&M. And that's something else I wanted to talk about. The timing of all of this. Do you really think it's a coincidence that at the peak and the brand newness of the NIL at the highest that it's all, of course, it's the highest it's ever been because it just got introduced. But at the peak of the NIL, This is the very first time that Texas A&M signs the highest-rated recruiting class in the history of college football. Do you really think that's a coincidence? No, absolutely not. It's not a coincidence. I can go ahead and tell you. It's not a coincidence at all. But 
That is where the game is. And so you can't come out and blast Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher for playing by the rules. You can't blast them for using what is at their disposal. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with that's how that should be done. But that's what the rules are. That's how the game is. So why not take advantage? Right? Why not take advantage? When you're playing a team and their star quarterback is injured, you're not going to take it easy because their quarterback's hurt and they're playing with a backup. No, you're going to attack him, right? You're going to go after him. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher realized, hey, we have a new era of college football where basically we can pay players to come play for us. And on a, in a, a nicer way, we can buy players. Because when you think about it, that's what they're doing. They're not cheating, though, as far as we know. And that's not what I'm saying at all. But I don't think that's what Nick Saban was saying either. But that's how Jimbo Fisher took it. So what did Jimbo Fisher say? He came out and was livid, and he should have been. Okay? He should have been. He was hot and livid. We're going to break it down on the other side of this break. What Jimbo Fisher said, what it means from what Jimbo said, who's right and who's wrong. We're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. Give me a call, 334-321-1390. Let's take our first break of hour number two. You're listening to On the Line. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins with you on the Thursday edition of the show. Continuing on this craziness of the Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher uh, fiasco. How about that? I like that word. Fiasco of Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. It's been crazy, right? And, you know, I wanted to make sure we understood exactly what Nick Saban was talking about because not that I am I am defending Nick Saban, okay? Don't, don't yell at me yet. Don't yell at me yet, but... You know, um, look, he had a lot to say. And in the first five minutes or so, what he said was true. And I agreed with what he said because he says that this is not what NIL was supposed to be. And it's going down a bad road. Okay. You know me. I've talked about that a lot. It's not good. With what it is right now, it's not good. But then he called out Jimbo Fisher and, and, and all of that, right? Well, then Jimbo Fisher came in this morning, called a 10 a.m. press conference, stormed up in there, and was absolutely livid, and he should have been. But I think he took what Nick Saban said. I think he took it the wrong way because Jimbo talked about how it was disgraceful and just ridiculous and embarrassing that somebody of Nick Saban's power level and somebody of his respect would come out and accuse Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher of cheating to get the best players. That's what he was talking about, right? That's what Jimbo Fisher said in his response. And that's not necessarily what Nick Saban was saying. Nick Saban never said that Texas A&M cheated their way to the top. He just said they paid for all their players. And what Jimbo said was, no, (laughs) we used what we had to our advantage, which is money. That's what Texas A&M has is money, right? And so... You know, it. I think it got taken out of context a little bit. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher was upset. 
and he should have been because there was really no reason for Nick Saban to just come out of pocket like that and call out Texas A&M. But obviously, Nick Saban was or and is threatened, upset, and worried about Texas A&M. And why wouldn't he? Why shouldn't he be? Look at who Texas A&M is bringing in. Look at the talent. Like I said, they've just brought in the best recruiting class of all time. But there's not, you know, there, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. And Nick Saban's worried about it. I would be if my dominance in college football was was coming to an end, which I think it is. I've already told you, at the end of Nick Saban's, at the end of Nick Saban's current contract, he will retire. Nick Saban will retire. He doesn't want to put up with this crap anymore. But, but what I was alluding to in the last segment, in the history of, of these types of situations with Nick Saban, when he speaks, he's usually right. Okay? He's usually right when he talks about these types of things. He normally knows what he's talking about, but what does he always do? He always just figures it out. He always adjusts, and he uses it to his advantage, and he just makes everybody else pay. That's what he does. He figures it out, and he says, okay, I'll use it to my advantage. And then everybody else gets butt hurt because Alabama beats up on everybody because Nick Saban decided to figure it out, and he used it to his advantage. But can he do that with the NIL? I don't think so. I don't think so because this is sort of out of his control. It's not, but it is because it's not his money, and it's not his doing. Yes, he works with these NIL companies, and the school works with the companies, but this is not directly affected by him. His hands are not on this 100%. And what I mean by that is, when this is a rule change within the game of college football, or, or something within the game itself, he can control that, and he can change the way he coaches to make his team better and adjust to it. And then he uses it to his advantage to beat everybody else. With NIL, he can't really do that. This is not football related. This is off the field. And I don't know if he is going to be able to have the control that he wants. That's what makes him so great. That's what makes his team so great is that he has control. But this is not in his control anymore, folks. This isn't in his control. It is, but it's not. This is about the players and what money they can make, right? So I think he's going to struggle, and I've said that. At the end of this current contract, I think Nick Saban's done. He doesn't want to deal with this anymore. This is why you see coaches like Roy Williams and Jay Wright in college basketball and Coach K, while they're done, they're gone, they're out. They don't want to do this anymore. They don't want to be a part of this because they're old school and they've dominated in their way for so long that the new way, they just don't know what to do. And that's okay. Most people don't know what to do. But AM and Jimbo Fisher have figured it out. They have figured it out. They said, hey, we've got a bunch of money coming into this program, and players can now get paid. Why not combine the two? And it's working. And it's working. And Nick Saban's upset about that. But Nick Saban never said that Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M cheated their way to the top. That's how it was perceived. And that's how Jimbo Fisher responded. But what else did he say? I think everything he said had just been bottled up inside. All of his feelings about Nick Saban, I think he just let them fly today. He absolutely just let them fly today. And uh, the reporter asked Jimbo Fisher if he had talked to Nick Saban. 
And Fisher said that Saban had called him a couple of times and he hadn't answered. And he said, and I quote, we're done. We're done. So take that, I mean, as you will. But look, Jimbo Fisher's hurt, man. He is very hurt about this. And he he was really adamant about you know how how crappy it was that Nick Saban came out and started attacking 17-year-olds and their families, right? Which I understand. Nick Saban did come out and say, yeah, basically was was, you know, coming out and attacking recruits because they didn't choose Alabama. They chose A&M and the money over Alabama. He's obviously upset about it, right? He's obviously upset about it. But why was it so important that Jimbo Fisher had to respond? Well, he had to make sure that people understood that they don't cheat and they aren't cheating and they aren't doing anything wrong and he's correct. Jimbo Fisher's right. They haven't done anything wrong as we know so far, right? As far as we know, they haven't done anything wrong. As long as they're doing it the right way, they're just using the new rules to their advantage. And can you blame them? Can you blame them? In today's game of college football, especially in the SEC, especially in the SEC West, when you have an opportunity to take advantage and be better and have a, 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 an advantage over all of these other schools, why wouldn't you take it? Why wouldn't you do it? That's exactly what Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M are doing. They said, we have an advantage over everybody else. We've got more money. We have more money than everybody else. So why not take it and take it and use it to our advantage? So who's right and who's wrong? Both of them are right. Nobody said anything that was wrong. Nick Saban shouldn't have said what he said. He shouldn't have come out and attacked Texas A&M. He should not have come out and attacked Deion Sanders and Jackson State because he made the claim that they paid a kid a million dollars to come play there last year. And Deion Sanders came out and said, that's not true. So maybe he was wrong about that. But Nick Saban's claims were not wrong. And Jimbo Fisher wasn't wrong either. But he came out and blasted Nick Saban for saying, how dare you come out and say that? But I think it was taken out of context. And I don't think he fully understood what Saban was saying. I don't think he understood. But Jimbo Fisher was hot, folks. I mean, he was hot. Who's right? Who's wrong? I think they're both right. I think they're both right. Nick Saban's upset and he's threatened. And Jimbo Fisher thinks his character got attacked. That's it. That's all there is to it. We're going to have Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC coming up next. He's going to tell us what he thinks about the whole situation. Stay tuned. Chris Gordy coming up. Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Jacob Goins with you at hour number two. 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. It's been a great show. If you missed any of it, just search for On the Line wherever you get your podcast. It's been a great show, and I hope it continues to be that way. We've got Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC in his Thursday 3.30 spot. Chris, man, there's some stuff to talk about today around the SEC, huh? Yeah, there there really is, and it's, it's interesting because you know, we hear the comments from Nick Saban last night. Uh, I get a text from my buddy at A&M this morning that says, dude, Jimbo Fisher just announced a 10 a.m. impromptu press conference to address uh, the, the comments from Saban last night. And now 
Uh, and I'm certainly not trying to get any of your listeners to tune out, but as we speak, uh, Nick Saban is on Sirius XM right now, uh, which is was an already scheduled interview with uh, Jacob Hester, this guy's on uh, the the College Sports Channel on Sirius XM. Yeah, but I'm a little I'm a little disappointed because the quotes I'm reading right now from Nick Saban, he's kind of starting to crab walk this thing back, and I Uh-oh. don't like that. Come on, Nick, stand by your comment. Uh oh. Uh-oh, well, no, well, definitely nobody tune away. Go find the comments after our show. <laughs> but, Chris, I definitely want to get your thoughts on this whole situation. First, with what Nick Saban had to say last night. Look, it was about a seven-minute clip of him answering some questions about the NIL. And really, in the first five minutes, I agreed with what he had to say before he started going in on Texas A&M and others. What do you think about what he said before those comments? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like he makes he makes a lot of good points. Like it, it, it's not, um, you know, a lot of the stuff he, he was saying was not off base. So I want to I want to say that, but I think what it comes across as, and this is a big debate I've had with my uh, my, my co-host here in Houston on my show that I do here, is that it, any kind of pushback on this sounds like you don't want the players to be paid, and that's the problem. You know, with with a lot of this, is it's you, if you push back at all, it sounds like you're not for players to be paid. Therefore, you're a terrible human being. And by the way, all these coaches make millions and millions and millions of dollars. So, I get where people are coming from with that. But David's right. I mean, there, there has to be some kind of legislation. The, the NCAA, and he even cited this in his speech. He says, you know, transfer portal was became a thing because. All these kids kept coming back saying, well, why won't you let me transfer? I don't want to have to sit out a year. The NCAA was kind of like, oh, because we said so. And so then they went and got lawyers and started litigation. And guess what the NCAA said? Oh, we don't want to deal with lawsuits. Yeah, yeah, transfer portal. You guys can go anywhere you want anytime. So it's kind of the same thing with the NIL. Like for years, the conferences and schools were saying, look, NCAA, let's come up with a Let's come up with a system. Let's come up with a way to do this. And the NCAA kept saying, oh, we don't really know. We don't want to be responsible for this. Uh, just NIL, name, image, like this. You can do whatever you want. Um, one of the stipulations in the NIL was, you know, it's in the very small, fine print, is you're not supposed to use name, image, and likeness for recruiting. Well, that's fine. But you're holding the schools to that standard. You're not holding boosters to that standard. You're not holding collectives to that standard. And so what's happened here is we know what's happened. A&M was ahead of the eight ball with everybody. They built up a collective with their boosters. They raised a ton of money. And before National Signing Day, they went out and got every big four- and five-star recruit in the country, and they paid them through the collective. Texas A&M did not pay the kids. The collective did, which is filled up with a bunch of Aggie diehards and boosters and whatever. So when Jimbo Fisher got up there on signing day and said, I don't know what you're talking about, NIL, I never, I never paid a kid a dime. We never, no money exchanged hands here. Well, he was right. Uh, and I thought that's where Saban was a little bit, you know, last night where he said, well, you know, A&M, they got all these top recruits. They paid every one of them. Again, A&M did not pay them. The A&M Collective paid them. And this is where we get into semantics, right? <laughs> that's where everybody's like, well, you know, again, I get it. The A&M, the school did not pay him. Jimbo Fisher, the coach, did not pay them. But he certainly had a, some kind of hand in those kids coming to that school. And so that's where the dispute is. A lot of people are saying today, why is Saban whining? Look, Saban's not whining. If you go back to 2014, Saban was the one who was running ground and pound, played dominant defense, run the ball down your throat, and have a game manager at quarterback, whether it was 
you know, A.J. McCarron or, you know, whoever, um, all the different quarterbacks that have come through uh, Alabama. He said, look, if y'all want to go spread up-tempo offense, fine. If that's the way you want to go, that's how we'll adjust. Saban put, put the college football world on notice. He went out and started getting the fastest big-time players, running the spread, big-time quarterbacks. He's never looked back. Tua Tagovailoa, uh, Bryce Young. I mean, it's been one quarterback at another after another. has been a stud, throwing for a ton of yards, winning Heisman trophies and all this stuff. So I think what Saban did last night was he kind of put the rest of the college football world on notice, saying, hey, this is the rules y'all want to play by. We'll certainly dive into the NIL deal. Keep in mind, he was speaking to a group of about 60 business owners in Birmingham last night, and those are the guys listening. He had their antennas up saying, hey, this is the rules we play by now. You guys, y- y'all have done a great job of writing checks before, but guess what? You've got to write bigger checks now because that's what it's going to take with A&M doing what they're doing and everybody else doing what they're doing. So, yeah, I don't buy into the whole thing where everybody's saying Saban was being a crybaby because, you know, look, he's, he, he, he doesn't need to be. He still had the number two recruiting class. I mean, people were like, oh, you're just upset because A&M's stealing recruits. Last I checked, Jimbo did not steal any recruits from Nick Saban this recruiting cycle. Alabama got every kid that they wanted. They ended up with the number two recruiting class. Okay, A&M was one great, uh, but that was with A&M combing the whole country trying to get, you know, pay, pay for every kid that they could through the collective, uh, whereas it sounds like at least Alabama and Saban weren't doing that yet. But if they weren't doing that and they got the number two, two recruiting class, guess what? <laughs> if they're going to get dip their hands in the NIL now with the collectives and stuff, then I fully expect Alabama to be number one in recruiting again next year. Well, Chris, it sounds like you've been listening to my show because everything you just said is something that I touched on as well. So I'm really glad that you came on and were able to say a lot of those same things. So Nick Saban had his comments last night. And then, of course, like you said, uh, Jimbo Fisher called a um, an impromptu emergency press conference at 10 o'clock this morning. And he came storming in and had a very uh, explosive response to what Nick Saban had to say. Your thoughts on Jimbo Fisher's response to Nick Saban? Yeah, I, I, mean, I get where Jimbo's coming from. I mean, that's, you know, that's to be expected that that's going to be his response. But I also thought it was a little bit petty. I thought Jimbo came a little bit punching, punching under the belt with saying, oh, you, you know, he's got tons of, uh, you know, or however he said it, well, I'll tell you where the bodies are buried or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, basically hinting like Saban's been doing dirty stuff through, for years. And look, it's not surprising. Saban has been known for years. He runs his assistants into the ground. After about two years, you want to get the hell out of there because he's worked the hell out of you and yep. and all that kind of stuff. That's why, you know, it's not for long when you work under Saban. That's why it was so crazy that Kirby Smart spent as many years as he did. Um he eventually got out under it. He's created his own thing, and look at look at Kirby. He's a reigning national champion. So, um, but that said, it seems like there's no love lost between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, and was all, what was already becoming a little bit of a rivalry with A&M beating Alabama last year. Man, it is certainly heated up, and so I'm going to be real curious to see where this goes moving forward. Because, um, you know, as somebody texted me this morning, they said. Yeah, go ahead and take whatever the points are that Alabama's favored by at Tuscaloosa this year and give me Bama minus whatever because I think they're going to beat the snot out of A&M this year just to prove a point. And, uh, you know, I joked this morning, the one guy kicking himself right now is, is Haynes King, who projects to be A&M starting quarterback on, good Lord, I'm going to get my brains beaten by Will Anderson and <laughs> Dallas Turner in that game because Nick Saban's going to have us fired up, you know, have them fired up ready to sack the, the heck out of them. And so – yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting, but I, I thought Jimbo was a little came across a little preachy because again, 
while Jimbo can keep saying we never paid any players, we understand that, but to act like you're completely oblivious, hey, whatever our collective does, I have nothing to do with that. Yeah, okay. So you're telling me the head coach has nothing to do with what these boosters or collectives are offering legally, by the way, to uh, to recruits out there. I just find that to be a little bit hard to believe. But, yeah, if, if Jimbo walks into his office on signing day and goes, wait, who we get, guys? Oh, great, we got a bunch of five stars. I just That seems very naive to believe that. Talking to Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, the way that it came off was that Jimbo Fisher, and, and the ways that he was talking was that he came off in a way that Nick Saban was saying he was cheating and that A&M was, was you know, breaking the rules, but A&M's not doing that at all. They're just taking advantage of the one thing that they have, which is money, right? Yeah, and I think Saban was saying it more that he was frustrated because the the spirit of NIL when it first came out, or at least the rule was, you weren't supposed to use it to influence recruiting. And again, some of these schools have found workarounds with the collectives that, again, A&M, if, if, if they go and investigate, the NCAA investigates, I, I expect A&M to come up squeaky clean because they're going to say, well, yeah, it wasn't Jimbo or the school paying them. It was the collective of, you know, Aggie alums. That's, that's totally within the realm of NIL. But I think what we keep missing with NIL is name, image, and likeness is supposed to be for the kids who are really already on campus, the kids who are profiting off of making themselves a name. I had somebody bring up about, well, what about Bryce Young? Well, yeah, Bryce Young hadn't started yet, but Bryce Young had already been on campus. We already kind of knew Bryce Young was going to be the starter for Alabama. We already knew his name. He played in spot duty uh, behind Mac Jones, and he became the guy, and he got a big NIL deal. What I have a hard problem with is, you know, we're turning this into paying for recruits, and you're going out and signing a big recruiting class of 17-year-olds who've never played it down in college football. We don't even know their names yet, but we're giving them name, image, and likeness money because we want to stack recruiting classes and bring in a bunch of five-stars. That's not exactly what NIL is supposed to be, and that's, that's where the gray area is. But right. I don't know how you change it. I mean, I don't know how you fix that other than to say, look, guys, NIL, you have to be on campus to get an NIL deal. I understand they can go to recruits and say, well, look, we'll just – Sign this piece of paper. We'll definitely give you an idea. I'll do it and get on campus. They could certainly do that. But I think if we want to go down this territory, because I've had a lot of people say, what's wrong with it? What? If, if I want to pay my hard-earned money to pay a recruit to come to the school, why can't I? Then, okay, then create that. Call it pay for recruiting and make that a new system. So we'll have name, image, and likeness, and we'll also have pay for recruiting, where if you want to go you know, put your hard-earned dollars in the pocket of a 17-year-old and hope it pans out, then more power to you. But that's not what name, image, and likeness is supposed to be. Talking to Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC, that's a great way to put it. I mean, when you really think about, and that's sort of what Nick Saban was talking about last night was, this is not what NIL was created to do. It was not created to recruit. It was like you just said, it was created to to benefit the players who were on campus, on teams, to make to have them make a little bit of money due to their name, image, and likeness. But it really has turned into a recruiting tool, and so. You know, how did it how did it get to this point, right? How did it in your mind, how did it get from a, a, a great system for players to make a little bit of money to schools paying millions of dollars for high school recruits? Well, paying recruits to come to schools is nothing new. I mean, go back and watch the movie Blue Chips. Go back and <laughs> read the stories of uh, you know, SMU, why they even got on probation. It's because they're paying money. You know, it's 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 uh, all these different stories throughout the years of guys who've gotten paid to go play at schools, but a lot of those were done in the dark. They were done behind closed doors where the booster, you know, slides you a, a, a packet full of money in the parking lot and says, 
take this. You know, that's the, that's what that's what this has been for years and years and years. With NIL, I think boosters and a lot of uh, supporters of athletic programs said this is a great way to just do it out in the open. This will be completely legal. And I think what I think when when they NCA instituted the NIL rules, they didn't think about that aspect. They were thinking more. And for years, the NIL deals were Johnny Manziel. You know, he he was a superstar in all of college football as a freshman. Couldn't sell any merchandise. Couldn't sign any endorsement deals to promote his brand. All whole time he's at A and M. Same thing with Tim Tebow at Florida. Same thing with Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. I remember at LSU, he created these T-shirts with the Honey Badger on the front, purple and gold, and on the back it said number seven. And the NCAA stepped in immediately and said, no, 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 you can't sell those. That's got your jersey number on it. It's like, guys, what are we doing here? We're literally limiting this 20-year-old from trying to profit off of his name, his image, his likeness that he has created, and you're telling him no. That's what the spirit of NIL is supposed to be. You know, I throw out another example. My wife went to the University of Kentucky. Uh, There was a local grocery store in Kentucky who wanted to pay to have the gymnastics team out to sign autographs for little kids. Paid each member of the gymnastics team 100 bucks to come out and sign autographs. It's not much, but it's great if you're a 19, 20-year-old kid in college and you don't make anything and all you have is your, your food stipend and your scholarship. It's a great way to put extra money in your pocket. So that's the spirit of NIL. You know, even the kid at uh, Bijan Robinson in Texas who signed with a Lamborghini dealership and they're giving him a Lamborghini and giving him extra money and all that. That's fine. That is all in the spirit and under the umbrella of NIL. He is, he's made a name for himself, and he's profiting off of the name image like this. Now, here's my problem with that and, and recruiting. Arch Manning is already a big name. Arch Manning is already a household name everywhere you go. You could argue Arch Manning from day one should be paid a name image and likeness deal, and, and, and I can't argue against that. So that's where I have the problem where how do you restrict it from – uh, you know, big money booster at A&M who says, I just want the best recruiting class and I want all the five stars and I don't even know these kids' names. Just let me write a check and go get me all the five stars versus actually paying a kid who has created a name for himself, who has a brand already, and say, yeah, let's bring in Arch Manning and give him an NIL deal because he already has a name. I don't know how you differentiate it, but again, something's going to have to give because for years and years, these boosters have just been behind closed doors flipping the money to recruits. Now they could do it out in the open, and there's no restriction on it. And I don't know how you get a hold of it. Well, Chris, there's no doubt that it has gotten out of control, and when two of the biggest coaches in the SEC and in college football start going at each other because of this one idea and one topic, in my mind, it, it comes off that there's a problem and something has got to change. But, I mean, who knows what that's going to be? There's a lot more to talk about that. We're up against a break. Chris, I appreciate you and your time. As always, let everybody know where they can keep up with you and all your great work with Locked On SEC. Yeah, just wherever you get your podcast, I encourage everybody to go to our YouTube page. Just search Locked On SEC. We've got a great video up there today with a couple of our guys, host of Locked On Bama, host of Locked On Aggies, kind of going at it back and forth, arguing both sides of it. So it's a lot of fun, a lot of fodder, and a topic that won't be going away anytime soon. Absolutely. Chris, again, I appreciate you and your time. I'll talk to you next week, my friend. Sounds good, man. That was Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. He made a lot of good points and a lot of points that I have made as well, but he gave some really interesting points. We'll, uh, we'll break down the rest of that conversation, and I'll have final take on this entire situation right here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay tuned. We'll wrap up the Thursday edition of On the Line.
Welcome back into On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Goins wrapping up the Thursday edition of the show. It's been a fantastic show. If you missed any of it, make sure you search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. It'll be uploaded immediately following today's show. We've had a lot to talk about. Don't worry. We're going to continue to talk about this tomorrow as we wrap up the week on Friday. So we'll continue to talk about this Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher uh, fiasco and what's going down in the SEC. But big thanks to Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws 24-7 Sports for Kentucky. He was on during hour number one to talk about Auburn baseball and Kentucky baseball and preview that series that gets underway tonight. And then also... A big thank you to Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. Just got off the phone with him, and he had some great insight about this entire situation with Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, and what the NIL has become. So if you missed any of those two interviews, I highly recommend you go and find them on the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Chris brought up some really good points, and it kind of ties into my final take here on this Thursday afternoon. We have about two minutes or so before we get out of here. And look, there's a reason there's a reason that Nick Saban is saying the things that he is saying about the NIL. He understands what's at stake here. He understands and sees the changes that are happening in college football right in front of our eyes. He knows that. If anybody knows it, it's him, right? He's the greatest coach of all time, right? He is. That's just, that's just, it is what it is. He's good at what he does. And when things like this happen and, and rules get changed, he is the absolute best at adjusting and making you pay for changing that rule. He always speaks out against it more times than not, right? He speaks out against it. He tells why it's not good for the game. Then it gets changed. They don't listen. The rule gets changed, and he says, okay, I tried to tell you, but here we go. And then he adjusts, and then he makes you pay. And he makes you watch him destroy everybody else with that exact rule. But is that what's happening with NIL? Chris thinks so. Chris Gordy was just saying he thinks Saban and Alabama are just going to get more NIL money and compete with everybody else. But he also made a good point by saying they still have the second best recruiting class in the entire country. And who's the better coach, Nick Saban or Jimbo Fisher? Nick Saban, right? He still has the second best recruiting class in the entire country. He's going to be just fine. Alabama will be just fine. But... What does this mean for the game of college football? Nick Saban's right. College football is going in the wrong direction. College athletics are going in the wrong direction. I'm all for athletes making money. I'm all for them getting compensated for their name, image, and likeness. But I don't want to see millions and millions of dollars get used in recruiting. They're two separate things. Chris Gordy had a great point. NIL was created for on-campus athletes to make money based off of their name, image, and likeness. NIL was not created for the rich schools to recruit the best players and get better based off of money. That's not what this was created for. My final take is this. When Nick Saban opens his mouth, we better listen. But is Nick Saban going to hurt from NIL? I think so. And I think NIL is going to ruin college football. 
if it's, if something doesn't change, college football will be ruined by the NIL. That's it for the Thursday edition of On the Line. Stay tuned. The drive coming up. Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.